the fact that I、uh, I'm passionate about this. I experience this、um, very deeply. It's a very visceral experience because I experience it.、Um, you know, it impacted my life. It defined every. Aspect of who I am, it affected how. So these children that have been alienated grew up with、um, a lot of problem. You know, trust issues because you've been lied to by one of your parents.、Um, you know, and then you lost the relationship with your parent. Yeah. You know, you know, in the normal family dynamic system, like you're looking at the attachment theories. You know, children that have. Secure attachment to both parents will grow up a lot more healthy, you know, physically and psychologically than a child that's been、um, lost a relationship, right? So these children grow up with all those problems,、um, end up with、um, stuck in cycle of abuse, and that's what I end up. That's why I made film about doc,、uh, domestic violence because that's how I end up with relationship after relationship of you know abusive relationship with toxic people. Because we never learn to、um, what a healthy relationship look like. A lot of these children,、um, you、yeah. look at them really, they suffer from this, and then also the parents, you know. And it's a transgenerational thing because when they don't learn it, they pass it on to their children, and then their children become the victim or the abuser of this same problem, and then we just carry this on generation through generations. And so I experience this very viscerally. So. I really recognize that skill set and qualification you can get. You know, you can either pick up the skill today. I mean, especially today, you know, with YouTube, you know, with anything, you can almost pick up any skill set. So that's not the problem.、Um, you know, and you can bring in the right people if you need. And 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 I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm standing on the shoulders of the giants. I'm bringing the experts and asking them what is going to be the solution for this. You know, how do we solve this? I'm not doing this on my own. What really?、Um, Is helping me doing this is my passion for this. You know, I I wake up every day thinking about this. I never stop thinking about this. I you know I go to sleep dreaming about this. Literally like just day and night. Um, ever since I recognize this problem, I never stop. And really,、uh, when my friend asks that question, it really my answer is really like, if it's not me, then who? Are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special, and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored: the entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, "You know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference." Then they go out. And do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to the Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having Petra Dieter on the line. Petra, are you there? Yes, I am. Awesome! So glad to have you here. I、uh, before we got on, I knew, you, you said you were coming in from Los Angeles. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks for uh, for coming on. Um, I read through your bio before we got on the show. It seems like you do some really interesting stuff. Looking forward to talking about all of that. Um, for my audience that follows um, follows our journey, we are currently in the Poconos in uh, um, in Pennsylvania and headed up on our way to New York next week. Uh, but what I'm going to do, Petra, real quick is go through your bio so my audience who doesn't know who you are um, gets an idea, and then we'll uh, we'll get in and talk about what makes you a hero today. So let me start off here. Dr. Petra Dieter is an award-winning film director and social impact builder. As a filmmaker, she has made films in many genres focusing on using the visual story medium to tell the stories that matter. Her film Reborn about domestic violence premiered at the legendary Chinese theater in Hollywood and won over two dozen international awards and screened at festivals and theaters around the world. And her upcoming film is a feature-length documentary called At All Costs that examines a five-year custody battle and the system failure that led to the murder of a 10-year-old boy by his father. As a survivor of child abuse and domestic violence, she is passionate about creating social impact to advocate for victims. She's the founder and parental alienation strategist to Victim to Hero Institute, where she provides resources and support for victims, raises public awareness, and champions system and social changes, which is super cool. So what I want to talk about first, Petra, is what is it that you're known for, right? Um, what's your business like? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Um, thank you for being here, Richard. So I, what I do is I advocate for victims of parental alienation. Um, I, I don't know if the term is well known with your audience, uh, but in general, when we mention that term, people usually look at us uh, with a blank look, even though it's something yeah. that's affect, you know, over 22 million parents in the in the US alone. And obviously, as many children, because every parent has you know, at least one child. Uh, but parental alienation is what happens when um, a parent or someone who badmouth or brainwash or influence the child um, to reject the other parent. And this usually happens in a divorce oh, yeah. or separation, right? You you see that probably a lot. I have lot. experience with that in, uh, in my own life. Oh, how? A uh, stepbrother um, and a the, the uh, ex-wife of the stepdad went through the whole process of trying to make the stepdad out to be an evil person, which he wasn't, um, but succeeded with uh, making the making the child not like his dad. Yeah, so you you know what it's like. It's, yeah, yeah. It's as as crazy. a brother, I was growing up with with him, and I remember like he'd come over to stay with us, and he'd get on the phone with his mom, and she would badmouth. Um, the dad and make the child feel like he was a problem and um, everything for enjoying his time with his dad. Um, it was, it was rough as, you know, I was only a couple years older than him as an older brother. Um, and you know, it was definitely impacted our lives. Wow. How is it now? Um, he is, um, in his mid twenties, I think. Yeah. So. Has he reconnected with his dad? Is he in a good relationship with his dad? He has, I would say it's okay. Um, it's not. It's not a as good as it could be. But you know, it was rough starts. So yeah, and this is the thing when you when you talk about this and explain what it is. Uh, really, virtually everyone can say, "Yeah, I've seen this." You know, like oh, a couple um, got divorced, and then the mother will say, "Oh, your dad is a deadbeat father, and he is a drunk, or he's a violent guy, or something." And then the father will say to the child, "You know, your mother is, you know, mentally ill, or she cheated mm -hmm. you know, on me, and she left us, or, you know, things like that." Like you know, bringing 
adult problems into the children's world, and the children and force the children in the middle of the adult conflict, and forcing them to choose. And I mean, as adult, we know that when we have a couple of friends, and if they break up, we know that let's say we hang out with the wife, we will stop talking to the husband because otherwise she's going to be offended, or vice versa,、mm-hmm. right? And and yet parents expecting this of their children, and they don't care that. Um, you know the child. You know, even though you don't love your ex anymore, the child still has the right to love their parent. You know, and yeah. so yeah. So what I do is I advocate for these parents.、Uh, we do a lot of different things. So you know, at the personal level, we provide education and resources. We provide support, and then at the industry level, we do research and we、uh, again provide education and resources. And then at the society level, we provide public awareness campaigns. And at the system level, we look at we're working on legislative reform and also education and resources. So we we essentially trying to solve this problem at all levels. Yeah, all levels of the culture. That's really cool. So,、um, what I want to talk about then is is how how you got into doing this as as a business and and actually trying to make that kind of social impact. We talk on this show all the time. Every good hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. We want to hear that story. Where you know, were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you wanted to get into this kind of public awareness? For, for、uh, um, I, I'm going to mess the term up. What what did you call it?、Uh, dis- disconnected parents. Uh, it's called parental alienation. For parental alienation, there we go. I'll see if I can remember that. It's a difficult one.、Um, or you know, did you start out in a job and eventually end up in this career?、Um, so what 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 is your origin story like? Well,、um, actually, I was a alienated child. I was that child. But you know,、okay. um, a lot of these children don't actually realize that they are victim of abuse. This is a form of abuse. Let's no question about it.、Mm-hmm. It's a form of child abuse, and it's a form of domestic violence because somebody is using the child as a weapon to hurt and control their ex. Or they sometimes it's the step parents that play a part of this, so it it may not be their ex, but you know it's somebody. So、um, anyway, I was that child,、um, and I I had no idea. I rejected my father, and、um, I never questioned at all what was going on. And then when I became an adult, I always held on to that belief that my father was an, a monster, and I never stopped to go. Well, what did he do that was so bad? I just I just believed it, you know, because I grew up with that narrative, and I just、mm-hmm. stick to that narrative.、Um, and then, very much later in life, it's actually only a little bit more than a year ago when someone in my family、um, stopped and said,、uh, "Hey, I can't, I can't carry this on any longer. I have to tell you something about what your mother did to your father to destroy that relationship." We never get a chance to.、Um, I mean, no, we never had that conversation.、Um, I still in very close、uh, touch with that person, but we never sit down and had that conversation. But even just that statement alone made me go, "Oh, what happened?" And then I start to search、uh, and I start to look into it, and then and then I start to question things, and then very quickly I realize what happened.、Um, and This is something that's very common to a lot of adult children that went through something like I did.、Um, it's such a devastating reality to to come to,、uh, especially when, for me, when I realized that my father had passed、um, a number of years ago. 
And the only thing that really helped me was he actually left behind、um, a website that was actually made for me. It was、um, I searched for his name and and I found it.、Um, so anyway, that really helped because then there was you know writing from him. There was different things that really tell me that he loved me.、Um, I didn't know that you know you know as as an alienated child,、um, they always thought that. The rejected parent didn't love them, or that the rejected parent was dangerous, or that they, you know, whatever, all of those things.、Um, so anyway, that's when I started to, to look at this, and I thought, okay.、Um, and then so I thought I would make a documentary film about this、um, because my background is、um, like part of my background is an indie filmmaker, and before this, I actually made a film about domestic violence, and like you refer to it, actually two films about domestic violence, and then. Before that, I met. I mean, I'm always been、um, doing film that is sort of in the topic that's a little bit heavy.、Um, actually, when I made a、yeah. comedy, a friend of mine actually joked and said, "Wow, that is the first film that nobody died in your film," <laughs> because I'm always sort of like working with either you know serious issues. So anyway, so I made the、um, film, and then. I thought, okay, I'll just make another film about parental alienation.、Uh, I thought I would just go and interview a few people. You know, like you imagine, a film is about two hours long at most, right? Ninety minute to one hundred twenty、yeah. minute. So if you get maybe five or six people, you interview them, similar story to me, you know, and you cut it together easily, right? You can get this done in a matter of few weeks. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go and do this. And I, I remember even telling my husband, you know, I'll, I'll do this film in six weeks. You know, this is more than a year ago, and so, and so I kind of reach out then. <laughs> In the social media, and just kind of put the words out and said, you know, I'm working on a documentary film about parental alienation. I would love to talk to people that experience this. I had no idea how big this problem was and how serious it was. And so the next thing I knew, I interview over 700 cases now.、Uh, you know, parents that、wow. experience this, yeah, and children that experience this, and it's horrific. It's,、um, you know, the cases that that went to the extreme, the tragic. Ending,、um, and then there's some cases that are lighter. There's some cases that just had no hope, and there's cases that people reunited. So it's a whole gamut of things. And then, so while I'm doing research on this, I did a lot of reading、um, because my background is in research. So I read a lot of scientific study about this, and then I interview a lot of、um, uh, experts in the field about this. And I thought, oh. You know, it's gonna take me a while to get this film done, and when I finish, it's only ninety minutes or two hours long.、Um, it's it's not gonna help people that much. So why don't I start sharing this? So that's when I started. This is like about three or four months ago. I started the Facebook page and a website, and、um, I started to share what I'm learning. So every、uh, you know several times a week now we have events like programs where we bring in、uh, forensic psychologists. You know. Clinical psychologists and、um, different expert in the field, and we do this live event on Facebook. And our event reach now is over eighty six thousand people.、Um, and you know, we also syndicate with partners that have over three hundred thousand people. And so we're doing events several times a week.、Um, and then from there, you know, I just started to get involved with so many things. You know, we、uh, release a book、um, just. I guess maybe last week,、uh, one of the series of four books that we're going to release before the end of the year.、Um, we have a training program that coming、uh, very soon for professionals so that they can help 
the victims. We, um, you know, we got involved with so many different things that I, you know, the example that I mentioned earlier. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and it sounds like you've really run the gamma from getting, getting like learning about your own story to learning about other people's stories to turning this into a full-bred like cultural movement that you're trying, you know, hopefully going <laughs> to have an impact on that. Because um, I know, you know, just from personal experience, it's not, it's not a fun thing. Even, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't done to me. It was done to my stepbrother. Um, and it was still rough. And it's a, um, you know, it's, it's not a, it's definitely a form of child abuse. Um, and I would love to see, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that widespread of a problem. So that's, it's interesting to know that. Um, and it's also really cool that you're doing something about it. Um, and again, that's why we have people like you on the show. Cause that's, you know, that's a real hero goes out and, and, you know, changes things for the better. Um, so what, what I want to talk about then is, is sort of what you're, how you're using your powers to change that problem, right? Your superpowers. And, you know, we talk all the time, every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's a fancy flying shoot ma suit made by your genius intellect or super strength or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, right? It's either a skill or it's a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time that energize everything else you do, right? And the superpower is what sets you apart. And allows you to help your people slay their villains and come out on top of their journey. Right? And if you look at all the skills you developed over your life, everything from the research to the documentary filmmaking, those kind of things, you probably have one skill that sort of ties all those together, something that energizes everything else. And that's where your superpower is. So with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is that's allowing you to uh, help people with this struggle? Yeah, uh, actually, so um, just recently, I mean, I think about this all the time, um, you know, and... Um, just recently, I got caught up with a, a good friend that I, you know, I haven't been in touch for years. And, you know, again, I kind of explained to him what I'm working on and all that stuff. And as a good friend, he asked me questions and then he also played devil advocates. And then he would ask, um, uh, among these questions, one of the questions was, why you? You know, like, why do you think? you should be the one who solved this problem and um you know there's so many people that are so much more qualified than you that have been working on this for decades you know what make you think that you're going to solve this problem and um really i explained it to him and and i think this is where your question you know this would be the answer to your question as to you know what is my superpower and i think it is um it come with the fact that i uh, I'm passionate about this. I experience this um, very deeply. It's a very visceral experience because I experienced it. Um, you know, it impacted my life. It defined every aspect of who I am. It affected how, so these children that have been alienated grew up with um, a lot of problem, you know, trust issues because you've been lied to by one of your parents, um, you know, and then you lost the relationship with your parent, yeah. you, you know, in the normal family dynamic system, like you're looking at the attachment theories, you know, children that have secure attachment to both parents will grow up a lot more healthy, you know, physically and psychologically than a child that's been um, lost a relationship, right? So these children grow up with all those problems, um, end up with um, stuck in cycle of abuse. And that's what I end up, that's why I made film about doc, uh, domestic violence, because that's how I end up with relationship after the relationship of, you know, abusive relationship with toxic people, because we never learn to um, what a healthy relationship look like. 
a lot of these children, um, you yeah. look at them really, they suffer from this. And then also the parents, you know, and it's a transgenerational thing because when they don't learn it, they pass it on to their children and then their children become the victim or the abuser of this same problem. And then we just carry this on generation through generations. And so I experienced this very viscerally. So I really recognize that skill set and qualification you can get you know you can either pick up the skill today i mean especially today you know with youtube you know with anything you can almost pick up any skill set so that's not the problem um you know and you can bring in the right people if you need and 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 i mean that's what i'm doing i'm standing on the shoulders of the giants i'm bringing the experts and asking them what is going to be the solution for this you know how do we solve this i'm not doing this on my own what really um is helping me doing this is my passion for this. You know, I I wake up every day thinking about this. I never stop thinking about this. I, you know, I go to sleep dreaming about this, literally like just day and night. Um, ever since I recognize this problem, I never stop. And really, uh, when my friend asks that question, it really, my answer is really like, if it's not me, then who, you know? It's it's yeah. and, and that's where my superpower. That's a that's a good way to think about it. If not me, then who, right? Because someone needs to step up and and bring about the the social change, right? Um, and and work on changing the culture. And I love I love the idea that you said a word that um, that strikes really close to home, which is the the visceral feeling, right? Um, that's it's like that deep seated emotional connection with the issue that you have. Um, cause you've been there, you've experienced it. Um, and you know, someone who is on the outside, um, and, you know, studies it or looks at it, I don't think they're not, they're not gonna have that same connection with the problem that you would have, right. And the same connection with the other victims. Um, and you know, the, uh, uh, anyways, I think it, it just gives you a, a special place to be. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I've, I believe pretty firmly is that, uh, you know, mastery begets passion. And as you get better and better at what you're doing, you'll just get more and more passionate about the subject and it'll have a positive snowball effect on, uh, on the social change. Thank you. Um, that's what I'm hoping too. And I think when you, um, when you come from that place of authenticity, I think you can reach people. Uh, easier and you you're able to build collaboration and then you create uh, you're able to bring bigger impact yeah absolutely so i want to talk about the uh the flip side of your superpower right so if your superpower is the passion that connects you to these to this issue the your fatal flaw is the opposite side of that right so just like every superman has their kryptonite or wonder woman has her bracelets of victory she can't remove without going mad you probably have a flaw that's held you back in um, growing your business and growing your reach. Something you struggled with. For me, it's been a couple of things in my career. Things like perfectionism that kept me from actually shipping product for the longest time because I could always make a few more tweaks here or there. Um, or one of the other ones was lack of self-care that meant I let my clients walk all over me because I didn't have good boundaries. Um, but I think more important than the flaw is how have you worked to overcome it um, so that you could continue to grow and continue to have the impact that you're looking to have. Hopefully, Sharing a little bit about your flaw will help our listeners learn from your experience. Um, I would say that um, my very big flaw is actually my uh, mental, uh, my my money money mentality. You know, like um, uh, how do you call it? The way that you're looking at money. Um, I mm -hmm. I never sort of 
look at this in so it's weird because uh, I'm a business strategist before I went into this. I help many startups raise money from venture capitalists and angel investors. I taught entrepreneurship at UCLA. You know, I taught the, um, you know, uh, entrepreneurship boot camp for um, veteran uh, with disability that, you know, got funded from the GI bills. You know, I have multiple, you know, it, it's weird that for someone that coming from that business background, uh, I had no problem helping my client back then, uh, you know, with how to build their and grow their business and how to make money. But when it comes to things that I do, um, and especially when this is something that I felt so personal, um, I felt it's so wrong to think of, oh, you know, how to make money out of this. So I'm constantly feel like, oh, I can't, I can't charge money for any of these things. And really in the long run, that's actually going to be really serious because um, I've been working on this for over a year and I have not charged anything to any of the parents. Um, and that's going to create a problem in terms of sustainability. So the yeah. way that I fixed it is actually I brought in a, a board of advisors who are uh, amazing executives out there. And we actually look at this and they, at first they were like trying to push me and said, no, 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 you deserve to earn this. You know, you can charge these victims a lot of money. And you're talking about these parents that spend that we did a research in the median spending um, that they do on these cases because they get dragged through the court system for for decades, for years and years and years, trying to fight the custody of the child back. And then a lot of the time there's false allegation, you know, the the malicious parent will blame them and make make, you know, allegation like, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse. So horrific stuff. So these parents spend from fifteen thousand dollars to several million dollars over the lifetime. Wow. to try to fight. So, so they spend a very large amount of money. So, you know, for me to charge some money is not a lot. So, you know, my advisor at first was like, no, 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 you should charge, you deserve it. And I mean, I'm creating so much value to these parents, you know, people, we have support program that free for parents, we have educational program, we give all sort of things. So, so they would keep saying that you should do that. And I was like, yeah, I know that you I know it makes sense, but I don't feel right doing it. And I keep pushing it back. And then eventually they like, okay, we figure it now now. So let's, you know, let's do this so that you can feel good in your, with your conscience. You're still providing free solution for your victims, but you can still make this a sustainable business. So what we're doing is we're creating um, a certified training program for professionals. So the parents, we, we are not charging the parent, but we are developing, um, it's a B2B, it's gonna be a B2B model instead of a B2C. So instead of selling to the consumer, we are teaching this um, reunification program, teaching parents how to reunite with their children. And then these therapists or these mental health professionals can create centers around the country and around the world to help the parents and the children. Uh, and so then, in a way, um, one, it helped the money problem, and two, it also bring a bigger impact because one of the problem I have right now is when victims reach out to us and said, can you recommend solutions somewhere? Like, who do I go to? We actually have have trouble fighting people that understand this. Parental alienation is so counterintuitive that when you talk about, oh, there's a child that rejects a parent, the first thing people will think of is, what does that parent do? You know, that must something must, must be wrong with that 
father or mother, you know, he or she must be abusive or or, or neglectful in some way. They never stop to think about, oh, there must be somebody else that is manipulating the child, you know, brainwashing the child. So it's so counterintuitive that even professionals are not trained in this. So when therapists look at this, what they do is they will inadvertently become one of the alienators. They will go, oh, the child doesn't want to see the other parent. Let me help the child. Let me prevent the child from having to see the other parent. Instead of looking at it, it's that, oh, the child needs both parents. If there's a problem, let me fix that problem and reunite them, right? So there's a lack of understanding and lack of training and resources for the educational, for the, for the industry. So what we're trying to solve is to solve this problem from the industry level, providing the solution from, from the professional level. So providing these training courses for um for the professional so that they can then bring solution for the for the victims absolutely and that's a it's a the money problem is a fascinating problem that is very common in the entrepreneur space especially when you are in a an impact business right a business that's looking to do social change things like that um and it's interesting because a lot of people we have we one of the reasons i built this show is that uh for the longest time, and culturally, we still have this problem um, that entrepreneurs are regularly looked at as the the villains in the story, right? And you can pretty much pull up any kids' TV show, and who's the villain? The villain is you know business person, someone's about who's pouring oil in the thing and killing the ducks, right? Like or some variation thereof. Um, and so culturally, especially here in America, we grow up with this mentality that as an entrepreneur entrepreneurs are evil and therefore profitability is evil. Um, so we struggle with, you know, charging what we're worth and we struggle with building businesses that are profitable. And you realize at some point that in order for a business to have long-term sustainability, and especially if that business's long-term sustainability has tremendous positive social impact, it has to have also profitability. Um, so I'm really excited to hear that you guys have come up with a way that both fits with your conscience and allows the business to be profitable um, and also helps add value to the culture. So that's a really unique solution um, for that. And, uh, you know, I, hopefully our listeners got, you know, got a, uh, an idea of one of the ways you can solve that, um, you know, just by changing the model a little bit about where you're charging um, and who you're charging, who the actual customer is, right? So your your customer is not the parent, your customer is the um, professional, um, and then your parents are the people that you're helping with with those things. So that's a it's a neat way to shift the model and still create profitability. So, anyways, that's a cool story. <laughs> Thank you. I I totally agree with you the the bit about the villain thing. I mean, I think um, subconsciously, I think that money is is evil. Uh, you know, even though yeah. on the logic level, I understand that, oh, I need to make sure that I can figure out a way to sustain this and be able to run these campaigns because it takes money to, you know, to mm -hmm. do things. And, you know, even making the documentary film, I mean, I invested so much money into it so far and, you know, there's no money coming in, right? And so I, on the logic level, I understand that if I don't make the money, I'm not going to be able to do these things that is important for the parents, for the victims, for these children. So, so, but then I think subconsciously, uh, it's hard to break that m mental, um, I don't know, it's, it's something that's sort of like you maybe you must have like i must have learned it subconsciously as i was growing up and i think i associate money with evil in some way yeah. and yeah yeah so it, it it comes from a lot of cultural 
perceptions and storytelling that happens that you know the like i said the in our stories it's frequently it's an entrepreneur that is the bad guy um which is you know there's certainly a place for that there's certainly entrepreneurs who are bad guys um but you know it's just like anything else there's there's bad actors in pretty much every field um but then there's also some religious connotations where people you know like the the christian religion for instance there's a, a belief that says the love of money is the root of all evil which is very different than money is the root of all evil um but so people confuse those two things and they say hey if, if you're falling in love with money versus just money itself money is a neutral tool just like persuasion is a neutral tool and you know you can use persuasion to help someone else we call that leadership if we use persuasion so that they help us we call that manipulation but the tool itself is neutral right it's persuasion um, same thing with money. Money is a neutral tool and it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. And just for whatever reason, culturally, we've always, um, you know, sort of veered towards teaching people and telling stories about money and entrepreneurship and profitability as being evil when really that's not the case. And anyways, that's why we exist, right? Because the same kind of social change on a much smaller scale, but hopefully helping entrepreneurs understand that the work that they're doing is really valuable and it should be profitable so they can sustain it and, and help more people. That is such a cool way of looking at it. Yeah, thank you. I actually really appreciate that analysis. Well, thank you. That's cool. Uh, so I want to talk about the flip side of your fatal flaw, or not the flip side. The uh, the next next sort of thing in my um, in my discussion here is your common enemy, right? And you know every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? It's something they constantly have to fight against in their world, right? In the world of business, it takes a lot of forms, but generally we put in the context of the people you work with. Right. And so you could probably approach this from a few different ways, either the parents and children that you work with or the professionals that you're working with or the legislators, since you guys sort of operate on lots of levels. It's a mindset that you have to fight to overcome so you can actually create the change you're trying to create. So with that sort of like, what, what do you think the common enemy is with this issue with the various you know groups of people that you work with? Um, so unfortunately, there's a there's a very widespread misinformation out there that became a very dangerous thing for victim of parental alienation. And the misinformation uh, out there is this widespread belief that uh, parental alienation is not real, and that it is only a legal tool that abusive father use to take custody away from mother. So there are actually a very strong activist group out there that go and spread this message and say, you know, for example, there's a domestic violence situation, the father's abusive, and then the mother is so scared that trying to protect the child and then kind of hit the child away, and then the father go to court and then uses term parental alienation, invented this term parental alienation in order to take the child away from the mother. And then they went even further to say that the court, as soon as they hear this term, immediately always take the child away from the mother and give it to the abusive father. Now, this is just completely false. Uh, and there have been scientific yeah. research to prove this, um, you know, and not to mention thousands and thousands of our audience who have never heard of the term parental alienation before, but experience it themselves. And then by the time they found what we're talking about, they're like, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. So just because you de deny something that is not real doesn't mean that it's not real. Like, it's the same with, uh, I talk about, for example, you can say 
like Newton discover gravity, right? You can hate Newton as much as you want. You can say he's evil, he's whatever, and you can deny well his work as much as you want. Gravity still exists, you know. Yeah. It's it's still there. So it's the same thing with parental alienation. It's very real. Uh, it happened to me. It happened to all these people, regardless of whether this scientific or or activist group deny whether it's real or not. Um, so that's the first part of it. The other part is that. They argue that it's 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 the tool, but uh, and they're trying to make it as if only father is abusive and it's it's you know it's a gender issue. It's not. Both mother and father are are just as likely um, to be abusers as well as the victims of this problem. And the court is not blind to this. The court is completely capable of recognizing when this problem is being presented properly. The court look at that and understand when the abuse has happened and how to fix the problem. And there have been scientific research looking, looking at 10 years worth of data from all the appellate court cases that involve parental alienation, and they prove this to be true. And despite the scientific background into this these activist groups still going out then spread this news and then it's it get caught in many places and then what it does it it, it silence a victim because you know this yeah. is something that happened to me it happened to these victims and then when you tell me that parental alienation is not real you are silencing me you're telling me that my experience is not real and you're looking at any marginalized group out there you you think about you know you have suicidal hotline you have domestic violence shelter, you have, you know, all these sort of things, right? Uh, any marginalized group, you, you have something. But when it comes to parental alienation, guess what? There's nothing. There's no hotline to call. There's no shelter to go. And you look at your child that has been abused. And if you call the police, they're going to laugh at you. Oh, your ex is brainwashing your child? What is there a bruise? Like, did he, did he slap your child? Did he punch or did she... You know, like they they until yeah. they see something physical, they cannot understand the psychological abuse. So you can ch call the child protective agency. You can nobody will help you. The system that was designed supposedly to help these children and to help family fail to protect in this particular situation. And so that's a very serious problem. Um, I'm sorry, I I went off track, and I don't even no know no. What the <laughs> it's like your common your common enemy, um, and the common enemy oh, is that right. that it doesn't that people don't believe it exists, and it's it's true, right? Because you know I I witnessed it as a child growing up, and there was nothing that my stepdad could do about it, right? Because they like it's just not it wasn't a recognizable problem, and they were like she's not she's not abusing him, he's not he's not bruised, he's not injured, he doesn't have any issues, and you know she spent so long telling him that. His father was evil that he, when he when they went to the court, he would be like, I don't want to see him, right? Because he's yeah. been brainwashed yeah. that way. Um, right. And it's it's a it was it was interesting to to watch that unfold as a as a child. So um, and you know, so like I've I've seen seen the result of that, that people don't believe it to be real. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, it's crazy. And I mean like um it yeah, I, we even bring in like scientists who have done research on false memory and you know memory distortion, and they prove how easy it is to brainwash a child. 
Like even for adults, they have done work that show how easy it is to distort someone's memory and plant complete false memory into someone. And imagine when it's one parent that does this distortion and the implantation. You know, if you if you trust that source, um, then that parent can say anything negative, and that that little seed of false memory will grow into this big tree of just full of toxic information. And um, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Really it's, there's there's this really interesting thing that goes on with your brain. Your brain is super super powerful, um, and it is incapable of making a distinction between something that is visually like that, that is visualized in your head. Um, and something that's a real experience. It's one of the reasons we love fiction, right? Because fiction novels they create and storytelling like cinema, like you guys, you do, um, is is we experience those very viscerally. Um, and they create the same types of memories that real experiences do. So if you have an abusive parent who is feeding stories, especially visceral emotional stories to the child, um, they create it creates the same type of memory that any other fiction would. Um, so it's it's how you create, you know, in what you called false memories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is so true. Yeah, that's exactly what what's going on. And I mean, we brought in, for example, Elizabeth, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, who is an world-renowned expert in in memory, and she talked about this. And you know, and we're bringing more expert in this field about and to talk about it. And yeah, it's crazy. It's exactly like you said. They could not distinguish between the true experience and the false memory it's it feels just as real to them it's it's crazy yeah 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 and i said that's that's why we love reading books because when you get into the book it feels real and right. you have the memories of going through that story right, right. um and that you know those are false memories you didn't actually ride on a dragon right you didn't actually go to the school for witchcraft and wizardry but it feels like you did right, right? um because yeah. that's the way that's the way our minds work um, yeah. So that's super fascinating. Um, so if your common enemy is fighting against this belief that it doesn't exist, right, that it's not a real thing, the the other side of that coin is, you know, what you fight for, right? Um, and so that's your driving force, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or, you know, Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you fight for with your, um, with your business? Uh so I think that would be two things. One is that to get this to be recognized that it's a form of child abuse. Uh, right now, it's it's not properly recognized in the legal system. So that need to be changed. Um, so that so right now the system is very inadequate in uh, recognize diagnose the problem and providing the appropriate uh, ramification or solution for the problem. So changing that requires a change in the society level, you know, public awareness as well as into the legal system, as well as the industry. But the other things that I'm fighting for, for the parents, and also for the adult children who have experiences and now struggling with their life is to become the hero. Actually, it's interesting that your show had the term hero and my business also has the word hero. Our business is victim to hero. And that's what we're trying to empower the victims is that you can be the hero in your own story. You can be the hero to rescue yourself. You know, you don't have to sit there and wait, even though there's no resources out there, you know what, we can help you, we can empower you so that you can be that hero so that you can rescue yourself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, the uh, 
the message that you're providing for people and and hopefully helping to restore those relationships whenever possible i think that has nothing but positive ripple effects it'll have on our society as we go forward so that's a it's a it's definitely a a problem that is worth fighting to solve um so yeah i i appreciate the work you're doing um i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some practical things for actually, you know, working on and growing a business, especially the type of business that you run, right? Because yours is, it's a lot about social impact and social change. And so I call this your hero's tool belt. And, you know, just like every superhero has a tool belt with awesome gadgets, like their batarangs or web slingers or laser eyes. Um, and I've talked about top one or two tools you couldn't live without to actually do the work that you do, right? Um, it could be anything from your notepad to use for thinking or your calendar to keep track of your schedules or your marketing tools um, or something you use to actually tell the stories, um, right? So, something you think is essential to getting your job done. Um, what would be your top one or maybe two tools that you use to help grow your business? Um, so I would say, I mean, obviously calendar, we all can't live without the calendar, but I, I won't bring that in. But um, internally, um, Trello is what we use for managing the team and the project, because it's a visual way of looking at things. And it helped me, uh, I'm really bad at multitasking. And without Trello, I think I, I wouldn't be able to manage things. So that's internally, but I want to share the other thing that is more um I would say I think a lot of people are not using enough of is live event, uh, you know, going yeah. Facebook Live or YouTube Live or whatever. Um, I only focus on Facebook because I know that I don't have a lot of bandwidth to try to cover a lot of things. So I'm only focusing on Facebook. We do have YouTube. We do have other things, but we only kind of like spending time mostly on on Facebook. And um even though we are very new, our reach is is really large. You know, for that time, I, like I mentioned, we only started our Facebook about three or four months ago, and our reach now is over eighty six thousand people. Um, you know, so that's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, and the the reason, and that's why I wanted to share this amazing tool that everyone have access to is live event. Um, you know, people upload videos, people upload posts, they don't perform the same way. So. There's nothing like Facebook Live because, or, or I assume the same with YouTube or other places. There's nothing like building an audience like that because when you're there, you're live, people feel like that kind of engagement where that kind of connection where the audience can see you and you can talk to them and you're bringing them into a part of the, that conversation. You build the kind of commitment and engagement from your audience that, 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 you cannot build by uploading a video or a post or anything like that. Um, and then things that you ask them during that time, you know, you're asking them to like the video or share the video. Um, you know, I mean, when we do for about 45 minutes, we get hundreds of comments and questions during that time. And we get, you know, easily 60 or 100 share of that post. But if you just post a, a video or something, it's very hard to get that kind of view. And that's why, you know, I'll, you know, we got a lot of views in each time that we do these events. And I definitely recommend um, entrepreneurs out there to use that. Yeah. So do you have any uh, specific strategies you are using for your lives in terms of like how often you're doing them or whether you're doing a regular schedule or um, things like that that might be helpful for those of us who are looking to add live events to our, our marketing set? Uh yeah, so um, there's a there's a few things about that. Um, I did test different times, and I figure out, and I don't believe that that it will be the same for every audience. So I would say that you should test it for your own audience in terms of the time 
um, when you should have the event. Um, so I test different time and for my audience, I figure out when is the key pick time for my audience and also when is the less key. So that's how I schedule my two or three events a week based on the peak performance time. Um, the other thing is to, um, uh, so the timing, the other thing is make sure that you uh, you schedule an event so that people know that it's coming so that they can anticipate and they be ready for it. If you just go and do live yeah, randomly, yeah, if you just kind of jump on, it's okay. And I do that quite a bit too, but um, it's harder for the audience to know to be there. So if you set a time, then, you know, and especially if you have a little bit of time ahead, then people know to schedule it out. So that de definitely is the other aspect of it. Um, another aspect of it is um, in terms of the content, um, you, you need to make sure that the content brings value to the audience. So it's always a question of, you know, what are they going to be able to take away from this? How, how are they going to take this information and apply it into their situation? Um, a lot of the time we would go into other places because, you know, we, we're constantly learning different things. And I would see people would post things just for the sake of posting it, maybe because it's a topic that's important in that field or whatever. I mean, you could have, for example, like there's thousands of uh, peer-reviewed scientific journal articles about this field, right? And if I just post one of those, um, it has no value to my audience. I need to be able to, if I want to post about it, I need to look at the article and think, how do I translate this into a layman term and then, you know, explain how they can use this information? Because otherwise, if I just present this statistical analysis and the data and the hypothesis and then you know it, it doesn't do anything to the audience so in terms of content definitely um, think of your audience all the time what does it mean to your audience how are they going to take this away and do something with it like value always think of the value for your audience um, the other aspect about um, the content is to think about credibility uh, because we were relatively new um, I say we were because very quickly now we are being recognized as, you know, one of the well-respected source in this field. Um, so now I, f I don't feel like we are new in that way. We are still new, but we are recognized and, and respected. But when at the beginning, uh, when you did not have enough credibility or quality or qualification in that industry, then I would recommend the way to build it is by bringing in other people, other experts, so that you can build your credibility on top of other people qualification, if that makes sense. So, you know, for us, we're bringing experts and then we bring in so many experts that, and, and there are these giants, these people that have been incredible in the industry that have never, ever spoken publicly before. And we are the first people that brought these people to the audience, to the public and say, look, you know, these books that you guys read about, you know, this, this, this law that you heard that was changed because of this person, here he is. Let's talk to him and what are your questions for him, right? So certainly you built your credibility without me having to do that research and write that book. Um, so definitely the, in terms of content, that's the other aspect I would say. Um, in terms of the actual uh, event itself, um, I think it's important to structure it. There, there's a number of, um, it's a mix, right? Between uh, making sure that your content resonates with the audience and making sure that it brings value. So you can't just go on and say, okay, here is the takeaway of this. Um, you need to make sure that it resonates. So before people can hear you and believe you and understand what 
you're trying to tell them to do and for them to take on that advice, they need to know that you understand their problem. So the way that you build this event or this uh, uh, talk or this video, you have to start with where your audience is. You can't you can't go straight up to the result. You need yeah. to start where they are, right? And you need to make sure they know that you understand their problems. So there's a lot of repeating things that it may seem very uh, basic maybe to you or whatever. It may seem very obvious or very simple, but you have to start there. You have to make sure that your audience feel that they are heard. So you start from there and then you slowly bring them up to get to that value point that you want to bring them in. So those are really important um, part of it. Yeah, that was almost like a whole mini class on how to do live events. So if I could uh, just sort of recap, you know, make sure you're testing for the right time and, you know, going for peak time and, uh, you know, uh, doing things like making sure the audience understands and translates the value that you're bringing. So you're, you're putting it into their terms. Um, and bringing in other experts to help build your credibility. Um, and then that last one, which is, you know, getting into um, learning how to speak to the levels of awareness of any particular problem, right? So you, you know, everyone in the audience, you can, you, you have to bring them all to the same level of understanding before you can take them to the solution. Otherwise, if you just start with a solution, you'll leave people behind who don't, who don't have the same level of awareness of the problem. So it helps you bring everyone to the same spot. Um, it's all really smart stuff for marketers who want to get in and, and grow their business. So thank you for that very detailed answer. <laughs> thank you. That, you're welcome. Yeah. And actually, I want to add something else. Um, so I used to be the producer for Mixergy. I don't know. You heard of Mixergy? Yeah, yeah. I have heard of Mixergy. Okay, yeah. So I used to be producer for Andrew Warner. And one of those uh, research that we did, or one of the, I guess, insight that we got from a lot of those um, interview and um, was that we found that very successful business um, actually have uh, what they call imperfect um, website and communication. So, you know, so so we actually did, um, actually our, our, our guests on the Mixergy show actually shared with us that they did tests like A-B testing. And when a website is perfect with no grammar um, mistake, uh, or no, you know, no spelling mistake and compared to similar to website, but with some grammatical error or with some spelling mistake, you actually have better conversion on the one that is not perfect. So imperfection is actually uh, not a bad thing. And a lot of people actually felt like, oh, you know, that is going to be a fatal thing. No, it's not actually. Uh, imperfection actually helps people feel like you are more real and they feel like you're not out of reach. You're not too distant to corporate. So actually um, for uh, entrepreneurs out there that sort of concern about how they look or how they sound, I mean, like I have an accent. My grammar is horrible. Like I, I, I add S when I'm is not, and I use past tense and present tense all mixed up. Um, you know, I know that it is not is not perfect, but um, I don't I don't let it bother me. And um, in some way, this is who I am. This is me, and I think that the authenticity actually helps the connection rather than trying to be perfect and then focusing your attention. Yeah, on the absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of, I've, I've been curious since we started, where where is the uh, accent from? What, what's your first language? Uh, I'm, I'm a mix. So I, um, I would say mostly Vietnamese. Yeah. Okay. So, so is I, English like your second language or third? Um, 
English is my third. Yeah. Third language. So I, yeah, cool. I'm kind of um, I'm a mix of of things that I actually don't know yet, and I I think at some point I probably should do those twenty four test thing. <laughs> But、uh, yeah, I did that. that. Yeah. Did you yeah, discover yeah. things that you didn't know? I I didn't find anything I didn't know, but I did find out that I am、um, I was a lot more regionally specific than I thought. So like I knew we were my family is mostly from the upper Europe area, but it turns out it's like ninety nine point eight percent like Scotland Wales like it's、wow. all all in one area like our whole whole family line is which is cool. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, like all the way down to the point we found out、um, we're actually part of the royal line for Scotland, Wales. Like if we go back, I think it's four hundred and twenty-five A.D. Our、ah. great great grandparents times twenty-seven or thirty or something like that were the king and queen of Scotland, or、wow. not wait, Scotland, Wales. So, wow, that's、know. amazing. That's so cool. If half a billion people die, we're in line for the throne. <laughs> 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 wow, that's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Cool. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to ten hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else: uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com/hero. For ten percent off the lifetime of your service with us, and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So I want to talk a little bit about your own personal heroes, right?、Um, and every hero has their mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf, or Luke had Obi Wan, or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, or Spider Man had his Uncle Ben. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who were a couple years ahead of you?、Um, and how important were they to what you have accomplished so far with your organization? Um, I had a lot of people that I look up to, and um, I. So, because I was, I grew up in a, such an abusive environment that I felt very abandoned. And so,、uh, I I'm sure that you and a lot of listeners relate to this: is that when you feel、um, abandoned or not loved, you you constantly fantasize for someone to rescue you. And so, for me, it was reading autobiography and biographies of these famous people, right? So I read a lot.、Um, Um, and then、uh, when I got to、um, Australia, which is where I spent a, a big 
portion of my life. Um, when I got to Australia, that's when I started to reach out to people that I read about. And, you know, um, and then in the US as well, I reached out to a lot of these people. And surprisingly, a lot of people that even really, really famous people will respond to you. And people don't realize this, you know, um, I think people are just scared to reach out. But, you know, for example, I reach out yeah. to Stephen Covey, who wrote the, you know, seven habit of highly effective people. And he was incredible. And I learned so much about the moral compass from him. Um, you know, um, I reach out to Fred Smith, who is the founder and CEO of uh, Federal Express. And I mean, even just yesterday, um, he emailed me, you know, I, I asked for advice, you know, I reach out to Heidi Roizen, she's um, right now she's a venture capitalist, but she was, um, you know, she was one of the entrepreneurs that was a very good friend with Steve Jobs, and she sold her company to Steve Jobs. Um, you know, so there's all these people that all play different parts, uh, different aspect of what I learned through my journey. Um, and, and, and I think, um, because I didn't have that relationship with my dad, I was always looking for a father figure. Um, so I, I did have a very good relationship with um, a very dear friend who is now passed. Uh, his name is John. Um, John and Jean really. Um, so Jean, John and uh, Jean is his wife. Uh, Jean is still a very good friend with me now. So in Australia, they really treated me like their daughter. Um, and that really helped so much with my healing. I went through a lot of struggle, you know, with toxic and abusive relationship. And I, I left Vietnam when I was 16. So you're still a teenager. And I left by myself to be in a brand new country. No, I knew nobody. And so, you know, to have a family like that, you know, it really formed a lot about who I am. And um, yeah, so John took me in and he was uh, a very successful entrepreneur and um, he had this uh, pharmaceutical line, you know, that's sort of herbal natural line that he sell, but he's also an accountant. So he, you know, does a lot of these things and Jean was a teacher and an artist. So, you know, they taught me a lot about what a loving family looked like. And, um, and that, even though I didn't achieve that for the longest time, um, I held that. And, and I think when you have a clear vision of something, you have a much better chance of achieving it. If I never had yeah. seen that, I, yeah, I don't think I would ever found my husband now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to find, you know, people like that who can be heroes, um, in your own life and help you change and impact those things. I love the idea that you have taken the time to reach out to, you know, recognizables, right? Some of the, the famous people like Stephen Covey and people like that, that are, uh, um, and that they would respond. I've never tried to do anything like that, uh, but it's it's definitely fascinating, you know, f um, for, you know, people who are listening or thinking, you know, how would I ever get someone, you know, like that to, you know, call on my show or respond to an email is, you know, sometimes it just takes the, uh, takes the, you know, takes the time to reach out, right? Because um, it's worthwhile, you can get responses. So that's, uh, that's very cool. Um, so 
you know, that basically brings us near the end of our interview. I got one more question for you, um, and it's about your guiding principles, right? And it's one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code, right? For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum, right? So as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about the top one and maybe two principles you use regularly in your life, something that you live by, maybe something you wish you knew when you first started out on your own journey. Uh, yeah, actually, this is something that I... I live with every day and um, it doesn't make it easier. Um, so it's it's about ethics, right? So it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, you actually are faced with ethical question every day. I mean, even mm -hmm. the simple things like, you know, do I push this cart, this shopping cart back to, um, you know, to where the shop is, it might be over there, or I can just leave it right here next to my, my car after I unload the grocery and then just drive off, right? Um, and, and no one would see it. And nobody that, that I knew that would see it. And even if somebody saw that I did that, nobody would say anything, right? So it could be that simple scenario. But when you talk about something a little bit more complex, so like I mentioned, we working uh, on building this business, and we have uh, we we grew a, a pretty large audience in a short time, and so every day we are being pitched with uh, and, and it coming from all direction with people that that say who we should work with or who we should bring on as a guest speaker or you know what kind of post or link we should allow in our private Facebook group or things like that, right? So uh, and it's so easy to just kind of like maybe sneak in uh, maybe a therapist or a lawyer and then try to pitch them as if they are uh, an expert, right? And then maybe get a, a handshake deal of you know maybe a sponsorship or something on the side, but that would be just like presenting an, an ad and uh, you've probably seen this in some magazines where an ad is formatted in a way that it looks just like the articles in the magazine itself so then the readers when they look at that magazine uh, look at that article and reading all these glowing recommendations they assume that it's from an unbiased editorial piece they don't realize that it's actually an ad right so that's a misrepresentation for us, um, we can't do that. So we have a certain set of principle about ethics that we are very strict in our requirements about who we choose to work with, who we bring on as the speakers, who we bring in and introduce to our audience. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how attractive the offer may look, it's against our principle. And, um, and some people think that it's, it's a, it's, it's a gray spectrum instead of black and white. But when it comes to principle and ethics, we actually disagree. I, 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 I'm not saying that it's easy to identify what is right or wrong. Um, and I'm not saying, and, and I hate it that people are attacking us all the time because the people yeah. that we decline, they will try to make it sound like, oh, we're being difficult or they even kind of do smearing campaign behind our back because just because we, will not work with people that we don't believe that will meet the requirement to bring value to our audience. So it's hard to be like fighting all the time, uh, but we will not compromise and we will not apologize for our principles and our value when it comes to the ethics aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think anyone ever should. It's definitely a difficult thing to, especially when you get into those things that are more complicated, like you were talking about. Um, and you know, when you, you know, like I said, it's, it's hard to decide what's right or wrong, but once you've sort of decided, hey, this is what's right or wrong, you know, sticking by that um, and, and holding to it really can help 
your business. It's like, it's having that, that integrity, right? That, you know, uh, I, I always like the picture integrity means you can lean on it and it won't fall over. Right. right. It means people can trust you. Right? Yeah, they can I trust mean, what you're going to say. Like I love the term. I mean, when, uh, when I met um, Dr. Stephen Covey in person, and he talked about this a lot about the moral compass. I love that term, you know, like that's that, I think that's a term that he, uh, he coined. And um, yeah, that's definitely something that you kind of, uh, it's not easy, but you know, like you, you have to try, it doesn't mean that you won't make mistake, but you have to walk around and try to have that as a guiding line for how you make the decision. Absolutely. Well, that is basically a wrap on our interview. And I do appreciate you coming on to share your story, uh, Petra. It's been amazing. Um, but I do finish every interview up with a simple challenge. I call it the Heroes Challenge. And we do this to help us get access to stories that we might not find on our own, right? Because not everyone is out there looking to be on the podcast network. So we're always looking for cool, unique stories. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that has a cool entrepreneurial story, right? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? First person that comes to mind for you. Um, an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do have, um, his name is Rex. He's working um, to, so he's working in the business of um, reviews. Um, so he's actually the uh, managing partner of, uh, I think it's called gadgetreview.com. It's a very huge okay. website where consumers go and look for reviews on, let's say you wanted to buy a camera or if you want to buy uh, uh, even just like a dog carrier, anything, right? You go on there and you will look up at a review and you go, oh, between these three brands, this is the best one. Um, so we talk a lot and um, I can see that he's just not doing this as a business. He's very conscious about the ethical aspect of this business. How do we bring valuable, authentic reviews to the to the consumer? Because the consumer trusts him to make their yeah. purchase decision. And it's so easy for him. And it's the same ethic questions like I just talked about with my situation. He faced with the same challenge as in, you know, um, how do I make sure that the recommendation that we put together is unbiased so that the consumer don't just, and it's so easy for him to just kind of sneak in somebody that will pay him a, a higher referral rate, right? And then the consumer would just trust whatever he say. Uh, but he's looking to, like, he really stick by his ethic and he's looking at revolutionize that industry. The, I mean, the business has already been very successful. The website have, I don't know, millions and millions of, of views in the traffic. Uh, and, you know, they they are generating in the millions. Um, I, I, I don't know the actual revenue. I know that it over, Seven it's big. Figure. It's huge. Yeah. Um, but yet he constantly focusing on the ethics side of it. He has a team of over 30 people and um, super, super down to earth, super nice guy. And I'm just honored to call him a friend and also an advisor in my business. And I would definitely recommend someone like that in your show. Awesome. Well, we'll reach out later and see if we can get an introduction. Maybe he'll say yes, maybe he won't, but we try. Um, so thank you so much for coming on our show today, Petra. It's been amazing. Um, so in comic books, there's always the crowd of people who 
clap and cheer for the acts of heroism at the end. So as we close, I want to know where people can find you if they want your help in the future, right? Where can they light up the bat signal and say, hey, you know what? I recognize that type of abuse. I've been through it. I know someone who has, um, you know, how can you help, right? So where, where can they find you? And then who are the right types of people to reach out and seek, you know, seek your guys' help from your organization? Uh, yeah, so we have a website, victim2hero.com. You know, it's just fully spelled out. There's no number two or anything like that. And we also on Facebook, so also victim2hero. We are also on other places, but we're not as active. You know, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, TikTok, all that. But we're not, Twitter, we're not so active on those but facebook particularly and um and on website uh we we are interested in hearing from really anybody you know uh from parents that experiences from children that that have experiences from grandparents relative because you know it's usually impact the whole entire family so you know anybody and also activists that working in this field, professionals that working in this field, people that wanted to get into this field. So really we we're not um we're not going to close our door on anybody. We, we want to hear from anyone because this is a huge problem. It's going to take everybody involved to solve this problem. And, there's, you know, the victims have nowhere to go. So, we'll, you know, anyone that need help, we're, we're happy to hear from them. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today, Petra. Um, it's, like I said, it's been, it's been a pleasure hearing your story and hearing about the work that you guys are doing. And I hope that your, uh, your business grows, becomes profitable and sustainable, and that you guys have as big an impact on this problem as you possibly can. Um, so again, thank you for coming on and doing the interview. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit that stop record button? Believe in yourself. Thank you so much, Richard. That's a good, I really appreciate this. That's a good one. Thank you so much. Definitely believe in yourself.